millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. A Living History Production. I'm Peter Hart. And I'm Gary Bain. And together we're Pete and Gary's Military History Podcast. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Peter Hart and I'm at the... uh, the delectable home of Gary Bain. Hello, Gary, how are you? Hello, Pete. Why did you look at the ceiling there? Oh, there's a dump patch over there. <laughs> just noticed it. Uh, how are you? I'm very well, Peter. I'm just back from Montreux, where I was at, with the weekend. In Scotland? No, Montreux in France, with the lovely Warren Smith and uh, Paul, sometimes known as Peter, Hilljard. You've never heard of these people. Most people haven't heard of them. Just, they just... have, and they'll be listening. All right. Well, uh, hello, hello, lads. Hello, lads. I'm sorry I missed it. We're um, not. No, <laughs> that's horrible. Right. Well, what are we doing today, Gary? Uh, we're doing Blucher 2. That's because we've already done one. We did. We did one before. And um, we left him a bit in limbo. We'd had uh, the treaties of Tilsit. Uh, had hobbled Prussia as a, uh, and, and re- made her a satellite power of France, in essence. Um, she'd had uh, territory taken off her. Uh, there were stringent limits on her armies, and Prussia was buggered, to use that technical term we love so much. Um, well, and they, we they then, were trying to get around those limits on the army, weren't they? They, they were. They were thinking of imaginative ways. Yeah, we, we talked about some of the army reforms. Uh, that were being embarked on by Sean Austin Gneisenhow to uh, August von Scha- uh, Gneisenhow and Sean I don't know his first name, just offhand. Uh, and um, they, um, Blucher had encouraged this uh, on and off. Um, but um, one thing we didn't cover last time in this period, because this period lasts until basically 1812 and the invasion of Russia, uh, is that there was a darker side for Blucher to this period. What, 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 what am I talking about there? Well, he found himself in constant dispute with King Frederick William III, uh, who had to tread a a very careful line to avoid bringing down the wrath of Napoleon. Uh, And that would, you know, the punitive action that would follow that, doubtless. And the old war horse, that's Blücher, for any doubt, he, he wasn't interested in politics or indeed any sort of realism. He just wanted vengeance. Yeah, but someone was watching Blucher. Who was that? He, he, I mean, Blucher's not just a, an unknown officer now. He's being watched. Who's watching? Well, I think you're referring to Napoleon. The great Napoleon won. Yeah. <laughs> Emperor Napoleon. He was watching. And as a result, on the 24th of September, 1807, Napoleon ordered his chief of staff, uh, Marshal Alexander Bredier, to do this. And you're going to tell us what Napoleon said. I am. Oh, God, I can't do a French accent. Because <laughs> I never went to Montreux, so I never heard any French people. To have Victor inform Blucher that if he makes any... Victor's one of his generals. Uh, to inform Blucher that if he makes any preparations for war and if he does not stop his ostentatious behaviour, he, that's Victor, will send troops to arrest and imprison him at Kolberg. That this is the express command of the Emperor who is tired of the Prussian braggart. Or braggart. Mm. Now, Blucher's physical and mental health began to collapse during this period of renewed disappointment. I think that's putting it mildly. Yeah. Um, he'd become increasingly prone to bouts of black depression. But uh, this was far more serious. He had a variety of things wrong with him when he was sort of 65, 66. And uh, how old are you, Pete? 67. I'm clear of it, then. Are you? 
Well, let's list them and we'll see. Well, he had an ulcerated erythia. <laughs> oh, respect. <laughs> R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Oh, different erythia. <laughs> not, not, not erythia, thank you. Now, this is uh, sort of a bit that collects your wedding tackle to you. Oh, that, ow. Yes, you, let's move on. Uh, he also had, as we mentioned, depression. Sleep deprivation. Never, uh, never a good thing, and I should know I'm a, a martyr. A, yeah, you are. Uh, severe weight loss. <laughs> well, I know how he feels. <laughs> You've often suffered from that, haven't you? Um, <laughs> something else. Possible alcoholism and venereal disease. Oh. <laughs> I'm saying nothing. And chronic irritability. Yes. Yeah. How old are you? 67. Yes. Well, you've got at least one of those. I'm going for the chronic irritability. Now, things got worse. He began to have the strangest hallucinations. That's just what he's really famous for. <laughs> well, he said his head was made of stone and asked his servants to hit it with a hammer. <laughs> um, he would fight imaginary foes. Well, yeah. He told people that his servants had been bribed by the French to heat the floor of his room to burn his feet. He'd go around on tiptoe, yeah. He was completely barking, man. Uh, he's, <laughs> I like the next one. He said an, an officer that he knew had been, was dead had appeared before him and given him the finger. That seems a very modern expression. I'm not sure if there's not been some mistranslation somewhere there. Most famously... He began to think he was pregnant by an elephant, or so it's alleged. Well, that could happen to any young chap in his prime, I suppose. So that's what happens when uh, you have an elephant in the room. <laughs> that's what happens. You end up pregnant. Well, there we go. Now, um, so uh, during this phase, uh, other other officers took over many of his responsibilities. Uh, but then, to the surprise of everyone... <laughs> He made a full recovery. Well, <laughs> as full as anybody with his natural proclivities uh, would, would get. I mean, the alcoholism isn't going to vanish away, is it? I was practising that word and you said it. You, go on then, have a go. Proclivities. Very good. Very Thank good. you. I've been practising. Now, um, so uh, so what happens? Uh, the, 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 the correspondence between Blücher and Frederick William III, or the third, becomes ever more fractious. Um um, because uh, Blücher had hoped that uh, Prussia would join Austria in the War of 1809 against France, and it's just dismissed out of hand. And then what happens? What happens? Well, Napoleon triumphs over the uh, Austrians at the Battle of Wagram on the 5th, 6th of July, 1809, and the capitulation of the Austrians that followed showed why Frederick William III was hesitant. Yeah, and I think it's, it's important to point out that... If you're in the real world, which Blücher sometimes wasn't, um, Frederick William III is in the right here because he would have just been smashed, wouldn't he, uh, if he'd joined in. Uh, but Blücher, he's nothing daunted, is he? No, although he lost much of his respect for the king and the uh, miserable sluggards, as he described them, that surrounded him. Are you surrounded by miserable sluggards? No, happy sluggards. <laughs> They're happy. <laughs> now, if anything, Frederick William was seeking a Franco-Prussian alliance to provide security for his kingdom. And as you say, that's probably the right thing politically. Now, Blücher had uh, unambiguous views, I would say, on this. What does Blücher say? You're going to be Blücher? Because I am old, I live consumed by the sole thought of retaliating against our oppressor. So he's not, uh, not, not bending, is he? Uh, now, uh, the reforms of the army we discussed in the last podcast, they're dragged back uh, um, uh, because what, what Napoleon's he's not stupid. He insists that the Prussians pay up their delayed re reparations for 1806, the 1806 war. And in 1810... It, it, it has to be paid, and this totally wrecks Prussia's finances and, and hampers, if not ends, the army re re reforms uh, and entirely sods up Scharnhorst's planned universal conscription scheme. Uh, there's no money left. Uh, it's just one of those things, isn't it? Uh, and then we talked about this very briefly. We mentioned it uh, at the last podcast. There's an utter disaster. What happens in 1811? Well, the suspicious uh, French troop movement seemed to indicate they were preparing for the invasion of Prussia. Now, as a result, Prussia prepared to defend herself and began to mobilise her forces. 
Yeah, the French noticed that, and in September 1811, they give an ultimatum backed by the promise of an invasion by a crushing force. Uh, in other words, non-compliance with what they said would trigger the very invasion that Prussia feared. Uh, they're, they're in a cleft stick. They're given three days to disarm. Uh, they've got to reduce the army to the 1806 stipulated level, cease work on fortifications. Uh, and uh, so what's Frederick William III's attitude to that? Well, as far as he was concerned, he had no choice, and he was probably right. Now, this time, Blucher's protests go too far. You can say proclivity. I can't say protest. (laughs) Because he refused to demobilise in Pomerania, and he was recalled from his command and governorship. And he was virtually banished, yeah. yeah. Just about. Uh, now, uh, because why was this? Napoleon had actually demanded his exclusion from command as a term of the alliance. And this is, this is where we left our beloved listers last time. That this, uh, this Franco-Prussian uh, alliance, which seems so strange to us. Um, um, because the, the, the Prussian army is going to be part of the French invasion of Russia in 1812. Um, this is a new low for Blücher. And where's Blücher spending his exile? I don't know. He's in Silesia. Thank you. That's where he's got his ass. <laughs> I don't know whether it was or not, actually. <laughs> he uh, keeps moving. The news of the disastrous retreat from Moscow brought, brought new hope that Napoleon could be defeated. The Prussians left the forced alliance and signed a treaty with the Russians, and then in the spring of 1813, joined the war against the French. Now, Blücher, he's given command of the Second Corps and fought alongside the Russians in, in operations intended to clear the French out of Prussia and the German states for good. Um, for the next 18 months, and I'm proud of him there, proud of him, proud of him. Uh, although he had some physical problems, and he did, he had no real further mental incapacity. His, his mind's just, just full of one thing. One thing, what is it? Chocolate. No, it's to defeat, to need to defeat Napoleon. What? There's no room for any elephants? Well, probably a couple of elephants on us. No, no room for elephants. Now, he's present at the Battle of Lutzen on the 2nd of May, 1813, and he's under the overall command of General Ludwig Wittgenstein. I thought he was a philosopher. (laughs) I got very confused when I read about that. Uh, anyway, uh, now Blucher's right back up into his neck in heavy fighting again. And it's, it's a bit too complex to explain, which means we don't know uh, much about it. Uh, we, 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 we made it quite clear that this, is, this podcast is to introduce you to Blucher. And it's an introduction for us as well, isn't it? Hello, uh, I'm Blucher. <laughs> hello. <laughs> um, now, where does Blucher lead from? Well, from the front. Now, not for the first and probably last time, he had a horse shot from under him. A bullet ricocheted off his belt, a second grazed his finger, and a third penetrated his side. Blucher thought he was done for, but the wound proved relatively trivial, and he leapt back into action. And this is how oddly Christian Nauk describes it. When old Blucher was wounded in the tumult of battle, he swallowed his pain, allowed himself to be bandaged, lifted first onto a wooden stool and then on his white horse, and returned to the battlefield. Just checking where Christian Nauk was from. Germany. Well, well. Now, Emperor Napoleon also rallied his forces, launching the old guard. Blucher and Scharnhorst amassed a dozen Prussian squadrons and charged. Did it work? Did it work? All to no avail. Oh. The guard smashes them uh, and victory goes to Napoleon. Um, but uh, as Wittgenstein, the philosopher, <laughs> and his staff ponder their options, a distinctive voice rang out across the room. Who is that masked distinctive voice? General Gerhard Blucher, and this is what he says. What? What? All the blood that has been shed here will be for nothing. Never at any time will I retreat. Instead, I will cut the French to pieces this very night. All of you who have said the word retreat should be ashamed of yourselves. <laughs> he's, he's given permission to launch a, a night cavalry attack, which uh, caused some mayhem before it was repulsed. Uh, uh, how old was Blucher at this time? Uh, he was a sprightly 70. It's amazing when you think about it. 70. 
His defiance and his leadership helped bolster morale and show that the Allies had not been decisively defeated. And after the battle, he did actually accept the necessity for retreat. He was not <laughs> blind to military necessity. So sometimes he'd talk a bigger fight than he was, uh, yeah, he's willing to retreat if he had to. Uh, now, in that fighting, uh, Sharnos, the chief of staff, was wounded and, and he'd actually later on die uh, a few, uh, quite a bit later, uh, because he, he didn't get the right medical attention, probably because he thought he was all right. But even when he got gangrene, he didn't have it treated properly and he, he died. Uh, Geneiser now uh, replaced him as chief of staff of the Prussian army. Uh, we're going to hear more about him. Now, um, so uh, Napoleon, he's a master warrior, isn't he? What, what are his armies doing? Well, they were manoeuvred to good effect, culminating in the Battle of Bautzen on the 20th to 21st of May 1813. Facing him, the Allied commanders were unfocused with constant interference from Tsar Alexander. Think of him as a Churchill, a sort of Alexander Churchill. No, not Alexander. You've misunderstood my notes. See a bit what I've there. done there. <laughs> yeah, see what you've done. Not Alexander Churchill, uh, the uh, the eccentric female historian. Instead, Winston Churchill, the eccentric prime minister, who was the world's worst general uh, and was a politician, not a general. Now, um, um, t- so, so the Allied commanders kept making tactical mistakes and they led to defeat. Uh, Blucher, he held on to his position till it was hopeless. And then what what did he do? Did he fight to the end? No, once more, he chooses the realistic option of retreat. Despite the confused command structure, the Allied armies managed to escape Napoleon's trap. During a hard-fought retreat, Blucher was told that a French column had enveloped his rear. And uh, Blucher's response was memorable. My favourite quote coming up. General Gebhard Blucher. I am extraordinarily pleased over this news because now the chap will be in the right position for me to give him a special honour which can only come from my behind. You're going to shit on him. <laughs> or at least fart. Oh. <laughs> I fart in your general direction. Of course. <laughs> oh, dear. Now, the French armies, uh, they're actually approaching exhaustion. Uh, remember that they've had the retreat from Moscow, uh, all sorts of things, and 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 the 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 the, the Prussian situation is good. So, for um, all the Russians, so that the, there's a summer truce agreed in June uh, eighteen thirteen. Does it last? No, hostilities resume in the autumn, and Austria joined the coalition, and three mixed armies had been formed. Now this, so it's now Austria, Prussia, and Russia. Yeah, the Army of Bohemia the army of North Germany and the army of Silesia commanded by Blücher with August von Gneisenau as his chief of staff. So what's, what's the composition of the army then? So army of Silesia, what's that? So he had one Prussian and two Russian corps, some 105,000 men. Wow. It's a proper army now, isn't proper it? Proper army. But it's interesting. It's got more pro- more Russians in than Prussians. Yeah. Now, uh, what what uh, Blucher, he's quite encouraged by... I mean, they've not been doing great. And Napoleon's been winning battles. But the Prussian troops, they'd fought hard. Uh, but what else encouraged him? Well, he, he was encouraged by what was happening with Wellington in Spain, where he was being somewhat successful. And this is what General Gebhard Blucher has to say. Long live Wellington. We must fight the French in the same way. We can do this if we use all... All our strengths. <laughs> he, he developed a bit of a lisp. <laughs> I notice his accent seems to change. It's changing today, isn't it? It's gone from Manfred von Richthofen. I'm trying not to be Richthofen. <laughs> right. Now, the truce, uh, as we said, it, it ends. And Blucher was... Um, by this time, he's tired, isn't he, of the divisions and uh, and the timidity displayed by most of the Allied commanders. Uh, what's his response, do you think? Well, he, he, his response was to lead by example. He was always willing to push forwards. His detractors in turn alleged that he was a, a hussar general, old, drunken, drunken yeah. rash, inexperienced in high command, especially of infantry and artillery. He lacking in a formal military education. Dependent on his staff officers. So, so a lot of that's in some ways true, but there's and another. Some of it's not a bad thing. Yeah. <laughs> what the drunkenness? The drunkenness, yeah, particularly. <laughs> uh, but uh, it was. Uh, what are his good side though? Well, his indomitable will, his ability to take quick decisions, 
willingness to delegate to competent staff officers. That's uh, as with every general, by the way. Yeah. Uh, battlefield courage and inspirational leadership qualities. They'd overcome any objections. And he got a cream for his rash. <laughs> You've got a cream for your rash. I've got lots of creams. Now, uh, so, uh, so he takes command of the army of Silesia. Now, what is the overall strategy, which I bet you understand completely, of the three allied armies? They've, they've got a very simple strategy, so you must understand it. Yeah. It was uh, retreat if they were opposed by Napoleon himself but advance against any other general. Now, Blücher, he's, he's, he's sort of unwilling to accept a passive or defensive role, uh, uh, he, and he, he sort of will follow this, but given a good opportunity, he'd attack anybody. Um, uh, he also, um, he couldn't, he, he knows the others are unwilling to cooperate with him, so he's prepared to at- attempt almost any task himself. And that, in turn, does make other generals sort of start to follow his example uh, because he's doing it, isn't it? It's all uh, it's all quite exciting. Now, who does Napoleon target first? He's got three armies up against him. He's going to he's going to try and defeat them in detail, I suppose. So, who does he go for first? The Army of Silesia. He's underestimated the strength of the main Allied force, uh, the the Army of Bohemia, commanded by Prince Schwarzenberg. Now, so he's going to go for Silesia. He does he realise that because the Army of Bohemia is the main army. It's massive, yeah. Now we would be unwise or some would say stupid to try and pretend that we've got any knowledge of the campaign that follows. Well, yeah, I mean, we've read a couple of books, haven't we? And and um, and it, it, it's bloody complicated and I can only understand it in gr- outline. Uh, but we want you to read more. Some of the some of the, 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 the campaigns that follow are incredible. And Napoleon at times is on top form. Uh, yeah. Now, what does... Uh, so Napoleon advances on the army of Silesia. What does Blücher do? Well, he, he, he falls back in front of Napoleon, but then on the Emperor's departure, he struck back hard to defeat Marshal Etienne MacDonald, good old French name. Yeah. Uh, fought with mainly cold steel in an absolute downpour at the Battle of Katzbach on the 26th of August 1813. Now, so uh, that's the thing. Napoleon has gone to command the army facing the, uh, uh, the army, the army Bemis, so Blücher attacks. Wow. Uh, what happens to MacDonald's army? Hiya. Uh, <laughs> MacDonald's army is disintegrated in the retreat that follows. This then counterbalanced Napoleon's own victory the same day over the Allied, Allied army of Bohemia at the Battle of Dresden. So, uh, now, what does Napoleon do? He turns his attention back to the army of Silesia, Blücher's army. Um, what does Blücher do? He shows good sense in retreating until Napoleon once again switched his attention to the army of Bohemia. So what does he do then? What does he do? What does he do then? And I guess he returned to the offensive. Blücher's flexibility was a complete embuggerance to Napoleon especially when other generals on the Allied side began to cooperate with the old war dog. Yeah, because the army of North Germany, they begin to conform to Blücher's movements as he sort of ducks and dives to avoid Napoleon's traps. Uh, um, And he helped organise the simultaneous movement of all three Allied armies on Leipzig. Oh, I've heard of Leipzig, yeah. Now, uh, so what happens at Leipzig? Well, in the end, Napoleon was almost encircled by the Allies and uh, his forces were weak. Uh, new, barely trained conscripts for the most part. He'd killed most of the rest in various battles and the uh, and uh, the Moscow affair, hadn't he? Uh, now, on 16th of October, Blücher defeats Marshal Auguste Marmont at uh, Battle of Mockern. Uh, that's just north of uh, Leipzig. Uh, what's that the precursor to? The decisive defeat of Napoleon at the Battle of the Nations at Leipzig on the 18th and 19th of October, with mm. Blücher's men storming into Leipzig on the last evening. So this is a fantastic victory. Uh, uh, Napoleon escapes. Okay. He always seems to escape somehow, but uh, what's, what's uh, Blücher's reward? Well, he's promoted to Field Marshal on the 20th of October. Wow. It, they've struck a crippling blow. Uh, what happens to Napoleon's armies, or what's left of them? Well, they retreat to uh, just beyond the Rhine. So, out of Germany. Most of Germany, anyway, yeah. Uh, so, 1814, we move on a bit. The Allies finally invade France. Uh, but uh, are they uh, well organised, uh, do you think? No, they're in considerable disarray. Hampered by the grand strategic aims and interests of Austria, which sought a balance between the great powers, especially not 
conceding too much to uh, its rival allies, Russia and Prussia. Yeah, this is quite interesting because this is the usual thing. These countries are not natural allies. They've got conflicting interests as well. So Austria wants to bring down Napoleon, but it doesn't want to destroy France as a great power because she wants that to counterbalance Russia. Uh, wow. Uh, that, well, uh, that, that can't help, uh, operations. Anyway, back to events. What happens? Bluke across the Rhine and drove on, uh, the Marne. <laughs> Uh, in early January 1814, before driving on, 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 on. towards Paris. Uh, now, what does Napoleon do? He attacks Blücher's forces at the Battle of Brienne on the 29th of January and the Battle of La Rothière on the 1st of February, after which the Emperor was forced to retreat. Yeah, I think he won both those battles, in actual fact. I mean, uh, uh, I mean the Emperor does... I mean, they're, they're indecisive, but the Emperor has to retreat. Um, now... Uh, is there a completely focused follow-up from the from the Allies? No, because uh, uh, the Army of Bohemia and the Army of Silesia, they separate partly for logistical reasons and pursued separate routes towards Paris, which led Napoleon to try and defeat each one in detail. And this this is this is classic stuff, isn't it? Uh, um, what would Napoleon's general policy he defend by attacking? Yeah. Um, and he had some success at first, triggering a succession of Allied retreats, but it couldn't last. Yeah. Think of juggling on a very high wire. <laughs> Blucher was forced to retreat, but was still looking for the chance oh, to strike back. Now, at this point, we shall take a short break. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am, but Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome back. Now, by this time, Napoleon, he seems to have fixated on Blucher almost as much as the old campaigner hated Napoleon. Yeah, well, this is because Blucher is the man who brings a, a sense of vigour and drive to the Allied operations. Uh, and, and, and this is whether advancing or making the prudent retreats required, uh, well, when the situation required it. Um, old forwards, martial forwards, whatever you want, is considerably more flexible than, than his image, or indeed what he sometimes says. As am I. Blucher, he, he wore his men to the bone with constant marching and fighting, but ultimately triumphed over a badly outnumbered French at the Battle of Léon on the 8th to 10th March. Now, uh, uh, th this is a big victory, and it's, it's the beginning, really is the beginning of the end. But Blucher's physical health begins to, to, to fail him at this point. I mean, he becomes quite poorly. He gets really bad eye infections and, and, can, can, and can't see his, uh, he, he can't lead from the front because he can't see where he's going. Um, and, uh, and he, he's bedridden and at least gives his men a chance to rest, I suppose, because he is a hard driving old bugger, isn't he? What's Napoleon up to? He's still twisting and turning. His endless, energy allowing him to hit back hard but the overall strategic situation was unchanged he was going to lose the numbers he faced guaranteed it 
unless the coalition fell apart. Yeah, and if you look at uh, the the commander of the army of Bohemia, Prince Schwarzenberg, his reaction to any setback was to order a retreat to the Rhine. So they're sort of playing this game of backwards and forwards. It's quite ridiculous. Uh, But then, at last, Blücher manages to inspire Schwarzenberg and the army of Bohemia. And at last, they coordinate. And the the army of Bohemia and the army of Silesia and the Blücher march in one body directly towards Paris. Um, when I say ride, was Bluka riding? No, he couldn't ride his horse, but he went round in a yellow carriage. But the Army of Silesia won one last victory for their ailing general as it stormed Montmartre on the 30th of March. That's just that. Well, it's part of Paris, yeah, Paris it's a, now, a, isn't it? a suburb of Paris, I believe. Uh, what happens then? Well, the French marshals, marshals surrounded the city and victorious allies entered Paris. Blücher riding in next day. I bet it wasn't well, though. <clears throat> the overthrow of Napoleon was complete and his formal abdication occurred on the 6th of April, 1814. Uh, the French Bourbon monarchy was at this time restored with Louis XVIII, uh, who was a fat bastard. Uh, both those tr- statements are true as well. Now, this is what Field Marshal Gebhard Berger said. From now on, they will only be talking and writing, not acting. I thus will have nothing to do. And uh, he also said something rather more pointed in a banquet toast. May the fruits which have been secured by the swords of the army not again be destroyed by the quills of the minister. Now, uh, so what does uh, what does Blücher do in Paris? Uh... Well, he engages his uh, passion for gambling and drinking, as you would. And in gratitude for his victories in 1814, King Frederick the William III of Prussia created Blücher... Prince of Walstadt. It also gives him estates in Lower Silesia and a big mansion house in Berlin. Uh, so he's doing well. Um, now, I like the next bit. Uh, Blücher plays a visit to uh, England, isn't, isn't it? Uh, which, which is where we live. Yeah, isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't it? Isn't it? Yeah. Now, he was received with royal honours and cheered enthusiastically everywhere he went. When Oxford University granted in him an honorary doctorate, he's supposed to have joked that if he was made a doctor, they should at least make Gneiser now an apothecary. For if I wrote the prescription, he made the pills. <laughs> he also said, and I forgot to put this in, when he, when he first saw London, he said, what a city to sack. <laughs> Fine old bloke. Uh, he couldn't barely go outside without being mobbed by women. Mm, I think he was a bit past women. Um, uh, and they were—they had blucher bonnets, blucher boots, blucher slippers. There was a blucher waltz. There was a racehorse called Blucher, and and that won the 1814 Derby, which I believe is a horse race. Uh, and the old cavalryman's watching it. Da-da-da! Uh, so, uh, what does he do after visiting England? Well, he goes back to Paris and then retires to Silesia. And then we're going to go into the, the bit, in a sense, we've covered before. Let's, let, let's trot through. Well, the return of Napoleon from Elba and his entry into Paris at the start of the Hundred Days, that calls Blücher back into service. He was put in command of the Army of the Lower Rhine, with Gneisenau once more serving again as his chief of staff. Wellington was in command of the Anglo-Dutch Army, and so to the battles of Ligny, Quatre Bras and Waterloo in June 1815. Now, we've already dealt with, with these in our podcast, which are, I believe, still available. They're certainly available somewhere. <laughs> and uh, the, 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 what we want to do is look at the general points which we took out of that. Uh, so some of this is repetition, some of it is new. Um, but what the, 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 the one thing that we want to make clear is that Blücher by this time had experience of this sort of fighting. He knew, he knew that the whole campaign, Napoleon's plans depended on separating the Allied armies and forcing them apart and defeating them in detail. And he dealt with this before, hadn't he? He had. And uh, this is something I like about Blücher at at, uh, the Waterloo campaign. He made an agreement with Wellington that they would come to each other's support as required. Now, he kept his word. Did Wellington? Yeah. Um, Well, it's extremely controversial. I mean, some people will say he did. Uh, I'm not so sure he did. And certainly at the Battle of Ligny, uh, uh, Blücher was left a bit exposed. Because Wellington's troop uh, 
troops are all over the place. It's not Wellington's greatest campaign, the early part of Waterloo, is it? Um, uh, so there you go. Um, now, um, one, one other point we want to make is, uh, is he still 70? No, at this point, 72-year-old Bluecoat was He's, probably as, as the to- oldest man at Waterloo. Don't believe that. Uh, I, I just don't know about that. Uh, there are some quite old people in there. And the you've back. been there. I was only 67, 65 when I went. Um, But he he did look his age by now. It's like Keith Richards. Everyone would say, it's amazing how young he looks. He's still tough and mentally vigorous. Well, there's an example of that, isn't there? Tell us about the... uh, There's one really good example of how tough he was. Well, he seems to have been making a habit of this. His horse was killed under him at the Battle of Ligny on the 16th of June, 1815, when he was attacked by French cuirassiers. So what happens? Well... His horse was killed and it rolls over on top of Blucher, which injured his his shoulder and his knee. He was trapped under his dead horse for several hours and was repeatedly ridden over by the French cavalry and apparently only saved by an aide-de-camp who uh, threw a greatcoat over him to conceal his rank. So all the all the decorations and things were, yeah. Uh, well. Yeah, so as a result, he somehow, I'm not quite sure how, escaped serious injury or capture. Guess what his treatment was? Uh, did it involve alcohol? Yeah, uh, rubbed <laughs> down with brandy and drinking champagne. I bet he drank some of the brandy as well. What do you I think? Bet, well, it certainly probably licked his own elbow. Not <laughs> alcohol. <laughs> now, during Bluker's absence, who took over? Well, Geniser now takes over. He's chief of staff, uh, uh, but he follows Bluker's outline plans. So he, he retires north to Wav and not east along the lines of communication back towards Prussia. Which is what Napoleon expected them to do. Yes, but he follows Blücher's intentions. Um, his plan, his original plan, was to support Wellington. And he, and so they order the army, the Prussian army, to regroup at Wavre and then march west to join Wellington at the Battle of Waterloo, which would take place, as we know, on the 18th of June, aye, two days later. Um I think that's the, one of the great deciding decisions of the battle. And I know you do as well. I do. Good. Driven on by Blucher, the Prussians had on, a on. tortuous route plagued by deep mud, narrow and very poor roads, and even a serious fire delaying the crossing of the Dial River at Wav. On, 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 forwards. Uh, and remember, it's not just infantry. They've got to get their bloody guns along these crappy roads. Oh, what a job. Uh, we hope to walk along the path, don't we, when we next visit uh, the Battle of Waterloo, because we haven't done that yet. It'd be exciting. Now, uh, what, there's another point we want to make, and that's about, uh, it's almost a battle in itself, Plant Noir. Yeah, we made this at the time during the previous cold. Uh, podcasts, the fighting of Blucher's men at Plantsois was not just as vicious and just as crucial to the result as any other engagement in the battle. It it was arguably worse than any other. Yeah, it, it was it was absolutely crucial to the whole battle. Uh, the the Prussians deploy some thirty five thousand men and eighty six guns, and the French had to de- uh, detach thirteen thousand men from their main force facing Wellington. And it's a crucial distraction. And those men could have made a big difference to the big assaults on the on the ridge, on the Waterloo Ridge. Uh, um, there were about 11,000 casualties, weren't there? Yeah, 7,000 Prussian and 4,500. So uh, 11,500. Well, Maths with Pete and Gary. It's always a popular subject, isn't it? Mm. I think without the Prussians, it would have been difficult for the Allied army, and it wasn't British, it was the Allied army uh, at Waterloo uh, to win on their own. Uh, and uh, Blucher, when he met, uh, he meets um, Wellington at uh, Belle Alliance, which is where Napoleon had his headquarters, and he meets him there and he gives him a great big bear hug, which, uh, of course, you can imagine, <laughs> imagine Wellington go stiff and go. <laughs> and uh, he says this. My friend Wellington and I have put an end to Bonaparte's dancing. His army is in utter rout. All his artillery, his baggage, his wagons and his coaches are in my hands. The insignia of all the orders to which he belonged, which were found in his carriage, have just been brought to me in a casket. I had two horses killed under me yesterday. We shall be finished with Bonaparte shortly. 
Now, I think it's interesting, the naming of the Battle of Waterloo. We've talked about this again before, but let's just make this point. If you're going to... the Bell Alliance is where it finishes. It's where Napoleon's headquarters were, and it's the central focus. The Prussians are coming at it from one angle, and Wellington's men converge on it from the other. Uh, I think it probably should have called the be called the Battle of Belle Alliance. But what is it called? Well, we know, don't we? Well, it's part of the British-centric view ever since, and it's named Waterloo, and the village is some miles behind the we Allied lines. It. It's got nothing to do with the battle, really. No, but that's what Wellington's headquarters had been before, and that's uh, not during the battle, before. Uh, that That's all important to him. It, it, it's control, isn't it? Uh, uh, Wellington's seeking to control the narrative, and he does. And for the British, there aren't anybody else there but British uh, and the French. Uh, that's the thing. Um, now, um, uh, let's let's have, we've got another quote from uh, Blücher, which sort of sums up the campaign in his eyes. What I promised, I have kept. On the 16th of June, I was forced to retire. On the 18th, in conjunction with my friend Wellington, I have completed Napoleon's ruin. No one knows where he has gone. His army is completely routed. His artillery is in our hands. His decorations, which he himself wore, had been brought to me. They were taken from one of his carriages. Yeah, so he's repeating himself a bit there, but he, he was very Is it old. him or is it you? Uh, it, it's him. It's him. Now, this victory was followed by the relentless pursuit of the French by the Prussians. And once more, this is what Field Marshal uh, Gerhard Blücher says. Pursue the enemy as long as they have a man or a horse able to stand. And again, this is this is this is a bit reminiscent of Foch after in, in 1918. Keep at them. Don't let them stop. Don't let them reorganize. Prepare new defensive positions. Uh, just just take advantage. Seize the moment. Finish the war. Uh, the Allied armies enter Paris on the seventh of July. Uh, Napoleon is uh, completely finished. He's uh, he's uh, he has to abdicate or whatever he does, and he's exiled to Saint Helena, and that's the end of him. And it really is this time. Blücher remains in the French capital for a few months, but his age and infirmities compelled him to retire to his Silesian residence at uh, Kriblovitz. Ooh, uh, where he dies on the 12th of September, 1819, uh, age 77, a fine age. Where does he die? Uh, uh, Kriblovitz. Right, so let's have a bit of an assessment then. Oh! Napoleon characterised Blücher as a very brave soldier with no talent for a general. Yeah, he called him an old rascal that attacked him with the same fury after the most terrible beatings. Is he get back on his feet again the next moment and be ready for the fight again. In other words, you couldn't knock him down. He kept bouncing. But it's like in a, a boxing match where you knock him down and he used to get back up. Um, uh, I think... Uh, Was it a weeble that wobbled but wouldn't fall down? I don't know. Uh, Henry Cooper used to get knocked down and get back up. That's it was fashionable to decry Blucher. Now, we've been through some of this, but let's just sum it up again, because it's also bloody unfair and to use a, you know, so, so what? They said he was rash. It said he was like a bull in a china shop. He just charged towards the nearest enemy willy nilly. Yeah. So they said he had no strategic vision and he couldn't read a map or plan ahead. So he'd make a great officer. Yeah. <laughs> that he had no grip on staff work was the other thing they said. Uh, now, how would you sum this up? You're an intellectual. Yeah, quite a lot of it was bollocks. Yeah. Now, uh, let's look at the positive side. And this isn't bollocks. This is much more uh, the reality. Much more non-bollocks. Yeah, this is non-bollocks. He had absolutely no fear of Napoleon. Now, this is something that he shared with with Wellington, who was the same. Now, he had an endless drive and vigour uh, and a controlled aggression. Uh, that reminds me of Napoleon. Do you know what? Endless, yeah, mm, yeah. He was cool under fire, uh, even when under threat. When either, yes, not personal threat as well. You, you mean when he's under threat? His armies are under threat. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think one important thing is he's an inspiring leader of men. I would add to that, whom he loved, and they loved him. I think they refer to him as uh, Papa Bluka. Yeah. Uh, I'm just thinking of someone else who was loved by his men. Well, they killed most of them. Uh, Napoleon. Uh, 
Um, now, one great thing is he was able to lead the Russians. He had two army corps in in his army of silence. Two uh, was it corps? Yeah, two. Or were they, yeah, two corps in his army of Silesia, and he was able to inspire them. And he he he, he went out of the way to make them welcome, to not force the Prussian ways on them, but to allow them to be Russian because they are Russian. Uh, and uh, they he was very popular with the Russian men. Probably he was. He inspired loyalty in the staff that served him. He performed his role. They performed theirs. He, he weren't there to draw up detailed orders. He formed a brilliant and mutually supported team with August Gneisenau. Now, this is crucial, isn't it? And people say, let's do, did Napoleon draw up detailed orders? Well, we've looked at his orders at, at Waterloo. No, he didn't. His orders were often... Uh, contradictory sometimes he didn't give grouchy proper orders and when he lost Berthier who fell out of a window under mysterious uh, circumstances that's his oh, that's his chief of staff uh, after that he, he, he misses him and, and this is because a staff officer is a different role from general and all generals have staff officers to write the detailed orders out don't they hey god hey god everybody has Fosh has Everybody has. Now, this is one I particularly like. He kept his word to fellow generals. He could obey orders and follow the directions with the constraints of a coalition. Yeah, so he, he he's not just someone who can be in charge. He would obey orders, but he kept his word. If he said he'd do something, he did it. Brilliant. Uh, another one that you might like is he made bold, unorthodox and unexpected moves, uh, often forcing Napoleon, of all people, to react. Uh, what does Napoleon normally like to keep? Well, he likes to keep the initiative. And, uh, you know, the example is the, uh, the the march towards Wav when Napoleon was convinced and wanted them to, to go back along the, uh, the to off lines to Prussia, of communication. Now, this is one that's important. He was perfectly prepared to retreat. And Old Forwards, which was his nickname, uh, and you'll hear it. I, when we did the first podcast, loads of people put Old Forwards or Marshall Forwards. Yeah, and that, that was his catchphrase. But he retreated many, many times. And what's the basic thing? that When he had to. Ooh. So you can see the campaigns of 1813 and 1814 as examples. Yeah. Um, now, he made mistakes. Does that mean he's not a brilliant general? Well, everyone makes mistakes, including both Wellington and Napoleon. In fact, they probably made more mistakes than he did uh, in and the Napoleon's Waterloo campaign. were quite serious on the, on the day. Yeah. Um, what's the overall thing about him? He always sought, a de- Blucher always sought a decisive victory, prioritising the destruction of Napoleon and his main forces and the capture of Paris. What's Paris, Gary? The seat of French government. Yeah. And... Um, it, it 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 this is quite modern and it's it's uh, it's also quite like Napoleon who was also someone who who sought this sort of thing. Yeah, nearly a hundred years later, Prussian staff officers analysed Blucher's performance in the eighteen thirteen campaigns as a learning tool for future generations of officers. They decided Blucher had established a Prussian way of war. Yeah, I'm not so sure it's Prussian. Uh, it's got a lot in common with uh, Blucher's great pal. Or he's, enemy, even. Oh, yeah. Was he his enemy? Oh, yeah. Napoleon. Yeah. Well, let's go through it. So let's go through the principles. One, make contact with the enemy as quickly as possible. Yeah. Concentrate all forces. Deliver the decisive blow. End the war. It's not rocket science, but on the other hand... W- it's keeping to it is what matters, isn't it? Yeah, it's the keeping. decisive battle and the decisive victory was all important. Now, we're coming to the end now, and we want to make a couple of points about sources because we do not pretend to know this subject very well. I, I mainly used uh, Blucher, Scourge of Napoleon by Michael Legier. Or Legier. Hmm. Um, and uh, I like that one. And you were looking at another book, weren't you? What did you look at? The uh, Beano. The be- <laughs> The life <laughs> campaigns of Field Marshal Pl- Prince Blucher. And who wrote that? His good friend, August Gneisenau. Yeah. 
and uh, those two and also we looked at a variety of other simple sources insert word wikipedia here if you know what i mean uh, that, that's when we get to look up a fact or something but uh, that uh, legia michael legia's book is i think excellent it's quite it's quite readable and it's quite exciting to see history we don't know that's almost all our history yes <laughs> now we're going to finish with a with a phrase that that we think sums it up yeah what a man what a soldier what a general what a podcast cheers pete cheers gary Thanks for listening to the show. Blah, blah, blah. If you'd like to support blah, us, blah, you can now buy us a coffee. Blah, blah, Visit www.buymeacoffee.com backslash PGMH. Or visit www.blahblahblahblahblahblahblahblahblahblahblahblahblahblahblahblahblahblahblahblahblahblahblahblahblahblahblahblahblahblahblahblahblahblahblahblahblahblahblahblahblahblahblahblahblahblahblahblahblah